of Noah Gordon doing his treasure hunting channel on YouTube. And I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but I definitely would encourage you um, to do that, to check that out on YouTube. Uh, he has a lot of things going on. He's got a, a big family he's raising. He's got a buffalo or a bison ranch. And so I don't know how much activity he'll be able to do um, on that, but uh, he definitely, it's something he's been thinking about and he uh, started doing that. And it's pretty cool. I love a treasure hunt. Um, something that is of value that we search for and find. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, the Christmas treasure hunt. Uh, in Noah's treasure hunt, he gives certain clues. And then anyone in the world can watch that YouTube clip, and they can go to the place where they, they uh, think the clues lead to, and they can start digging to see if they can find the treasure. And whoever finds it gets the money, or whatever the treasure is. Now, you may be thinking, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, let me read, and I will explain to you. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18. But let us first pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we could gather together and learn from your word. Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us what you would have it to mean. Uh, we're so thankful for your written word that we could study. We're so thankful for your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 18. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The story of the shepherds and the angels. The Christmas story. We love to hear it. And of course, we love to hear of the baby Jesus. And this is the story that we read on Christmas Day, on weeks before Christmas. And we love it, and I love it, 
But there's some things about it, at least one major thing, that I end up scratching my head. Maybe I scratch my head too much. There's side effects going on up there. But I wonder how the shepherds found baby Jesus. What the word says is that suddenly the angels came down. They appeared to them. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared. And he tells them what's going to happen. Hey, you'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying them in the manger. And then just as suddenly as the angel came and appeared to the shepherds, the angel suddenly was joined by a vast host and starts a party. Suddenly the angel's partying again with the armies of heaven. And then the angels return to heaven. The shepherds are left there. Okay, well, the angel came, and he told us this, this one thing, and then they partied and left. Uh, what about this? You know, if I was a shepherd, I'd be saying, what just happened? That was amazing, but what do we do? Where do we go to find this baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger? Well, we have uh, pictures of our nativity scene. Here's one version of it. And in this nativity scene, uh, it's, it's a shack. And, and you see there's a star there. And it's kind of above the nativity shack. And, and then another picture here that's kind of a cave. And in this picture, um, there's a cave there. Maybe Jesus was born in a cave. And there's a star up above. Uh, we get the idea that maybe there was a star there that led the shepherds to baby Jesus. Now the scripture doesn't say there wasn't. What scripture does say about a star is a little bit later on in, in the gospel of, of Matthew, um, there was a star, but it guided the wise men to baby Jesus. That would have been probably two, two years later. Uh, maybe Jesus would have been about two years old by that time. Not when he was first born. So how are the shepherds finding Jesus? Maybe there was a star. We don't know. But it's not written here. Uh, where did they go to find baby Jesus? Where is it written? It's not, uh, not in our, our story. Now, my uh, mentors, the people who tell me when you're researching the scripture, when you're uh, looking into it, you want to see where it is written. If someone gives you information, you think that may not be right. Where is it written? And so you start studying, and if it's not written there, well, uh, maybe it's not true. I don't have a problem with a star. I think it's a great deal. But the wise men, they were astrologers. They knew how to read the stars. God would have sent them a star to lead them there. <coughs> I just don't know if the shepherds would have followed a star. And if, if there was a huge, big old bright star, bright enough for the shepherds to want to follow it, uh, maybe everyone else would have been following it as well. How did they get there? Hmm. Now, getting to this point, we could just take the shortcut. 
And I could just show you where it is written, an idea that I think is the reason that the shepherds knew how to find Jesus. But the shortcuts aren't the funnest. So we're going to take the long way around. Because if we took the shortcut, it wouldn't do justice to God's full, glorious plan. So here we go. We're going to take the long way around. If you're going to look for a treasure, there are three questions that you will have to consider. <coughs> Number one, what is the treasure? What is the treasure? Uh, you know, do you like it? Our holiday seasons tend to uh, involve a lot of candy. And in Christmas morning, you get up when you're a kid, um, there's usually stockings, and there's candy in the stockings, and some of it's hanging out of the stockings. And you have presents under the Christmas tree, and you wonder, which one should I do first? Well, if there's, if there's a bag of circus peanuts, you guys like circus peanuts? When I was a kid, I liked them. They're disgusting as an adult. But, you know, there would be uh, circus peanuts sticking out of that stocking. Ooh, I like those. I'll go get my stocking because it's got something in it that is that is good. It's treasured. I'll get the stocking first and eat that while I'm opening my presents. Uh, you know, on on, uh, on Easter, um, you, you search for eggs, and uh, you're tr you're trying to find the eggs. And w when you're young, you quickly find out which eggs have the uh, the, the tootsie rolls in them or the little things of, of Smarties. And you figure out which eggs have like the mini Snickers bars, or uh, you know the, the package of, of, of peanut M and M's, and you want those eggs. Those might be a little bit bigger, and so you'll intentionally go to find those eggs. And if if there's a hole uh, in the yard and it's a snake hole, you don't like snakes, but you see a little bit of green down there, like neon green, maybe an egg. You'll risk sticking your hand down in that snake hole to get the. Snickers bar, the uh, M&M's, and M&M's, maybe not a Tootsie Roll, maybe all are Tootsie Roll fans, I'm not crazy about a Tootsie Roll though, but I will eat it, uh, so what is the treasure, and is it worth looking for, is it worth looking for, you know, we will go across town on Halloween, to a house that is known to give out like fresh baked cookies or, or uh, you know, candied apples or, or uh, king-sized candy bars. We'll go the extra distance. It's worth driving. Um, it's worth convincing your parents to drive you that far to get the treasure. And number three, uh, who will find it? Third question you would ask if you're going to like uh, look for a treasure is, is could it be me? Could I actually be the person to find it, or is it almost impossible? And the odds aren't good, so maybe I shouldn't try. What is a treasure? Is it worth looking for? And who will find it? Maybe me? These are the three questions. So let's take the first one to begin with. What is a treasure? Scripture we read, the angel's proclamation describes the treasure as good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. I want to introduce to you a word 
This word is euangelion, I think. That's how you pronounce it. This is a Greek word. Uh, it is the word for good news. Um, gospel, you also know this word as. Um, its more in-depth meaning is an active rule and reign for the benefit and blessing of the people. A kingdom of peace, order, and righteousness. Now, why do I teach you a, a Greek word? Well, if you're the kind of guy that just uh, reads the scripture, and, and you have faith in it, you just believe what it says, you don't need to know all the explanations, um, that's great. You don't really need to know the Greek word. That's not necessary. But if you're the kind of guy that, boy, you've got to know how it works, then this might interest you. And if you're the type of person who just takes faith, maybe you don't need it, but maybe somebody in the future is going to say, hey, can you explain that to me? Maybe you'll need to explain it to them. So here's the Greek word, euangelion. It means good news, uh, kingdom of peace and order. Caesar, Augustus, uh, he is the king at the time of Jesus. He's the king of Rome. And he kind of likes himself, proud of himself. And actually, before Jesus was born, Caesar had what he called the good news, the gospel. And we know this because there is an inscription on one of Caesar's palaces where he writes or records that he is the good news, that he brought about the good news. It's in 6 B.C., he claims that in his, he, he is so good in his coming that the day he was born is when the good news came. Caesar is full of himself. Uh, you've heard of the Pax Romana. This is a time of Roman peace. This is where it's known that uh, the, the, the place of Rome was more peaceful than a lot of the other world. Uh, they kept the peace, by the way, with a brutal force and so but by the Roman standards the pagans um, this may Caesar may have been the good news for them they maybe thought well, we found the good news Caesar Augustus kingdom is the good news he claims he is good news things aren't going too bad for us the good news but the Jewish, on the other hand, well, I bet they didn't think that, that this was good news. I bet they didn't think that uh, Caesar fit the description of real good news. We know this because we can go to Isaiah, uh, chapter 52, verse 7 through 10. This is the, Jewish's, the, the, the Jewish word that they would have studied in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says, How beautiful... On the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and of salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy before their very eyes. They see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem.
the Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. Jewish writing here. This is our writing as well. And it doesn't fit Caesar's gospel. Caesar's claim for good news. Well, they didn't feel like the Jewish folks, they didn't feel like they were experiencing peace. Uh, <clears throat> they were not shouting for joy under <clears throat> Caesar's rule. Rome was not concerned with restoring the ruins of Jerusalem. And the Jews, they weren't offered comfort and relief. No, Caesar's good news is not such good news. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, uh, further tells us, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yes, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chains from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Caesar is not a righteous man. He was not humble. The opposite of it, actually. And he did not remove the war, like the scripture is saying. He stationed guards in every town, and he kept the peace through violence. <clears throat> it's not fitting the prophecy about good news. Caesar was a counterfeit savior. He considered himself a god. He is a false god, a fake messiah. His kingdom, it was a counterfeit kingdom that did not offer peace and blessing for all. Now folks, we have to remember and keep this in our mind that Satan is a deceiver who has always tried to twist God's word, including the prophecy about Jesus. He will twist it. He does his best to keep people from experiencing God's good news, God's evangelium, gospel, God's peaceful, benevolent reign. So we need to be on our guard so that we aren't deceived into trading uh, in the true Savior that we know for a quick and simple fix or for uh, being conned into following a false God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 uh, tells us that, uh, dear, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Many will try to deceive us. Many will. And in the same book, uh, the chapter before, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving of phys for physical pleasure. 
craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared from this. We know that the last hour has come. And John encouraged us to stick with what we have. Verse 22, And who is a liar? That is, anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father, and in this fellowship we enjoy eternal life as promised us. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark confronted Caesar's false gospel when he wrote in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. Folks, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the devil. The good news is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The treasure, folks, is this. What is the treasure? It is God's good news of the promise of eternal life for us in his perfect kingdom under his righteous reign. Let me put that in a simpler way. Eternal life, us, and God's kingdom. Quite simply put. So here we are. What is the treasure? We know that. It's God's good news, eternal life for us in God's kingdom. Number two, is the treasure worth finding? Is it worth finding? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, tells us about the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Everything he owned, he gave it away. He sold it to get this treasure. Because this treasure, this kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is worth more than anything that we could experience. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. The kingdom of God is about healing. Healing. That is treasure worth finding. Matthew chapter 9, verse 5. The kingdom of God, there is compassion. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In this treasure worth finding, in the kingdom of God, there will be compassion. Jesus taught us that on this earth, he had compassion. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, the kingdom of God, we see through God's Son, we have forgiveness, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, God's kingdom is righteous. We see righteousness, peace, and joy, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of a living, a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Daniel, chapter 7, verse 32. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom, by the way. says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives you... For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He is excited to give us the kingdom. <laughs> hey, it's not in men's nature to be pleased to give their kingdoms to people. Uh, boy, Caesar and the other kings, they, they, they fight and they kill and they manipulate. Uh, and when they come to such great power, they want to stay in that power. They're not pleased to share the kingdom, to give the kingdom, but our God is. Rome came and Rome went. Caesar died. No kingdom is eternal except Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom is worth finding. There will be no tears, no disease, no darkness, no death, but there will be love, there will be joy, there will be peace, there will be healing, and there will be righteousness forever. The treasure is worth finding. Now number three, who will find the treasure? Could it be me? Who will find the treasure? In our scripture that we read from Luke, the Christmas story is the shepherds. The shepherds find the treasure and who do they represent? If we were to apply this story to our lives, they represent the favored. Remember last week we were talking about a Mary. She was favored by God. God chose her to uh, place his very own son so that he could be fully man coming from <laughs> Mary and fully God coming from God. He chose Mary because she was favored. One of the things that we uh, studied about Mary and discussed is she was humble, a very humble person. Um, she's ordinary. You know, God favors those who are humble and ordinary. Our scriptures are full of his word saying how he uh, uses the humble, ordinary people, our shepherds. Shepherds. Pretty ordinary, I suppose. Uh, you know, humble. That they most of them don't probably have a whole lot of things to distract them. Not a lot of worldly things. You know, God seems to have something about shepherds He likes. 
the shepherds. I mean, who couldn't love a shepherd? Um, a shepherd's job is to care for things, is to take care of them, is to protect for protect defenseless things. That's what a shepherd does. I mean, we could love a shepherd. God uh, tends to favor this kind of person. And so here we have it in Scripture. Um, Moses is a shepherd. Uh, Jacob is a shepherd. And David was a shepherd. His son, a shepherd. It's pretty fitting that he would choose shepherds to find his son here on earth. You know, the unlikely person is another person that the, that the shepherds uh, represent. Unlikely. You know, low man on the totem pole who got unexpected news from God's messenger suddenly out of the, the sky. Here comes an angel. They didn't know it was going to happen. Uh, God likes to do that. And um, this news was about a new king because God looked past the... The, uh, the person who he was delivering the news to, he looked past his appearance and his heart, and he chose him anyway. Sounds kind of familiar. This is the same situation that uh, Samuel was in when God told Samuel to choose a new king. Jesse brought his sons forth. And Samuel, the prophet, one by one, went through the biggest and the toughest and the most handsome. Uh, no. God doesn't want him to be king. And, well, well, Jesse says, I have another son, here's another son. And, you know, he's, he's pretty good. No, no, don't, don't want him. All the way down to where there was none left that were right there. And Samuel says, God speaking through him, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And, well, there's one. There's one. But he's, he's kind of ordinary. He's uh, humble. He's a low man on the totem pole, he's small, and he's a shepherd. You want me to bring him? Yeah, bring him. That's the one, David. So God chooses some shepherds to find his treasure first. Another thing the shepherds represent is one who seeks. A person who seeks to find the treasure. I love this verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look. The shepherds, they received their last clues for the treasure hunt. The angel gave it to them. And then they went to find the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And the clues were, do you remember what the clues were? The signs. <coughs> He'll be a baby. He's going to be wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, hold that thought. Uh, a little bit of background knowledge goes a long ways. Wouldn't you say so? So one time, my wife and I, we had a scavenger hunt at our property. And we had the youth group come to our place on the back 40. And we drew up this map. Jessica's really good at this. And she uh, had certain things that the kids had to do and had places they had to go so that they could find, uh, find the treasure or the things that they needed to have. And we divided up in like uh, several different teams. 
And doggone if uh, the Regal girls didn't win because they were on their own property, right? No matter how difficult Jessica tried to make uh, the, the riddles and the, the directions and the clues, they were there. They had background knowledge. They knew where the tree with the huge forks that would be perfect for tying a swing in because they had a swing there at one time. And they knew where the stream was and where it met the creek because they knew that. They found the treasure because of background information. People, people are still searching for the treasure today. The thing that will make life good and worth living. Oh, we call this things like a utopia. Like the perfect place. The place that will end all other places. The place where uh, you don't grow old and everything is just perfect. People are searching for this. For peace. For healing. Or a fresh start. Or freedom from what ails them. People are searching for hope. They're waiting and longing for some good news. Most of the time, most of the time, they're looking in all the wrong places. Wrong places. So, this brings me to you. To you who are sitting here in this church today. Or to you who are watching me online. It brings me to you. Specifically. What are we going to do about this treasure? This Christmas treasure that we're about to have. First off, I say to you, have you found the treasure? Have you discovered God's good news of eternal life for us in his kingdom? Luke chapter 10, verse 21 Jesus says it's hidden from those who think themselves wise and clever, but it's reveal, revealed to the childlike. Oh, if you think you're pretty good, you probably don't understand the good news. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says, This message was kept secret. For centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Most likely, if you are here today, then you know the good news. You have found eternal life through Jesus. Now understand this. Christ lives in you. Now you are the living good news. The living gospel. When people are looking for the good news and they look to you are they looking in the wrong place? 
Luke chapter 17, verse 21 says, The kingdom of God lives in you. In you. Is that true in your life? Is Jesus in you? Is the kingdom of God alive in you? Back to the angels and shepherds. Uh, our verses out of Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 11 and 12, it says, The Savior, the angel says, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, Savior, Messiah, Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, and you will recognize him by this sign. It's going to be a baby. He's going to be wrapped snugly in strips of cloth in a manger. The shepherds. Uh, okay, what do they do now? What do they do now? They've been told this thing right here, as far as we know. Oh, they could, they, could, they could run to town. Let's go to town and start knocking on doors, right? What does this mean to them? Start knocking on doors, I guess. Uh, and it would be pretty confusing because a lot of the houses back then, at least at least middle-class style houses, uh, would have had the, the <clears throat> a place underneath the house. The first floor would have been for the animals. Probably most houses would have had a manger of sorts inside the house. So what do we do now if we're shepherds? Go knock on all the doors? Mm. That could take forever. Wait a second, one shepherd may have said to the other. Remember what the prophet Micah said? Yeah. Yeah, the other one might have said. The, the king... The Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, is, Micah said that he would be born in the watchtower. Prophet Micah, chapter 4, verse 8. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former domination, the dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Zion. Jerusalem. Do you guys remember when, when Becky gave her presentation in our Christmas program? And she talked about a place called Migdal Eater. Migdal Eater. And that's the word that means watchtower of the flock. It's, it's the same word. And uh, the watchtower looks kind of like this. <clears throat> I mean, that, that's, a, that's a place. Let me tell you what this place is for. And Becky told you this already, but if you've forgotten... Um, this is the place where the shepherds can climb up top and they can keep watch over their flocks. But the more important thing about this is that this was the secure and safe place for uh, sheep to give birth to their firstborn. Firstborn. Now, why would they bring their firstborn into this type of a, a place to, to uh, their heifer sheep? What do you call a heifer sheep? I don't know. Um, so they've never had a, a lamb yet. <clears throat> Why are they bringing them to this place? <clears throat> Two reasons. Um, number one, because um, you know when they, when they have their first first kid, or a, it's not a kid, if that's a goat, uh, first lamb. There was one. I forget that. Uh, so first lamb, uh, there could be problems. There could be struggles, right? And so you, you big cattle ranchers, maybe you have a building specifically for your, your first-time uh, mother cows to come in and have, just so you can keep an eye on them. So you bring them in here to keep them safe. 
But there's another reason that is more important than that one. In the, the old law, each firstborn sheep was to be dedicated as a sacrifice. A firstborn sacrifice. And they would be kept as perfect as possible so, so they could be that perfect sacrifice. In a place like this. So they'd take care of that sheep. Maybe wrap him up so that he doesn't get, you know, hurt if he gets knocked around after he's a couple days old. They didn't want him to be non-perfect. And so here's a place called Migdal Eater, the watchtower of the flock. Shepherds, they know this place. They use it this place on a regular basis. The King, the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah, the words that the angel used, uh, he would be coming to Migdal Eater, the tower of the flock. And not just any tower, because there were probably a certain amount of these. Maybe every each town would have one of these. Um, outside of the, the gates of the town so that the flocks could use it. But not just anyone, but the one near Bethlehem. Again, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Bethlehem, the tower, watchtower of the flock in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So they, they run. They run to the tower. The shepherds do. One shepherd says to the other maybe, hey, you know, why didn't they stay in town? Why'd they bring their Why'd they come to this tower to have their baby? The other says, man, there probably wasn't any room in the town. You know, the, the census deal. And then they get there. Look at that. Oh, he's all wrapped in strips of cloth, just like the angel said. Yeah. And he's in a manger, too. Just like the angel said. Why does the tower? Why does the tower make any difference? Well, I mean it really doesn't. God could have had Jesus born oh, just anywhere. He could have had him born anywhere. But the shepherds, they found the treasure somehow. And I'll bet. It was because they put the clues that they already knew about the tower, about the, the, the place that the prophets foretold. I bet they put that together with the signs that the angel gave them, and they went right to Jesus. They found Jesus at the Migdal Eater, the watchtower of the flock. Now, wrap this all up. 
back to you guys. Back to you who are here today. You are Migdal Eater. You are the watchtower of the flock because Jesus lives in you. When people come to you, when they are coming searching for Jesus, will they find him in you? Here's some signs. Some signs that they should find in you to confirm the good news. Uh, John 13, 35. Uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Will they find love in you? John 8, chapter 31 says... Uh, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Will they find obedience? Yeah. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, uh, tells us about the good fruit they can find. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Let your life Declare the good news of great joy so that others, the others may find Jesus and then they will go tell the amazing news. You know the shepherds. The shepherds, they went back to their flocks. They went and told folks. Then they went to their flocks and they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had Seen because it was just as the angel had told them. And it's important. It's important. We've heard the word. We've heard it said. We've heard it read. We've read it ourselves. Are we telling others? Are we glorifying and praising God like the shepherds? We sing about a silent night. A holy night night. Yes, indeed. Indeed, it was a, a holy night. Silent. It was in a place where there were animals. We're not sure. But listen, compared to compared to another holy night, when Jesus will be coming to earth again, this holy night was silent. Because the next time that Jesus comes to earth, he won't be coming like a lamb. He will be coming as a lion. And it will not be quiet. And folks, because of the good news, the good news is that you and I, we put our faith in Jesus, that we have eternal life, and that time when Jesus comes back as a lion, we're not worried about that. Because we have that eternal life. Now, are you being the watchtower that, that houses Jesus so that others can come and find him? So that others don't have to fear the second coming when he comes like a lion? Let's pray.